Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Well, it's great to be back. We had a superb time in Macedonia. And I just want to thank you as a church for praying for us as we went. It's the first time we've partnered with another church. I phoned Pete Mary, the pastor, on on Monday when we got back and just thanked him for his team. We just had a fantastic time with them. And I was amazed at how much synergy there was with them. And uh, he said, well, we were just there to serve, serve you guys. I said, no, 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 no. You're there to work with us and and he said yeah we want to develop a partnership with you and in fact that partnership is starting to touch it will start to touch the hope foundation as well we got some great things going on with hope and uh, some high caliber high quality people in the church with great touch points into our community and we're we're wanting to make that next phase change for hope going forward and uh, an hcf um, our friends over at havering um, have really pioneered some great stuff and it, well, at some point we'll see them. But anyway, this morning our theme is strength and courage. We're pursuing this, uh, this topic. It's, it's, uh, it's a great one. I hear Adam did really well last week. In fact, I did hear the message and uh, I really enjoyed listening to that this week. And uh, today we're going to take that on to another, another phase in this conversation of strength and courage. Um, the ability to confront big issues. Confronting big issues. I want to talk about confronting big issues. Uh, And I may only be able to touch these at at a high level, but I I want to touch them nonetheless because as the other communicators in the church uh, move through the series with us, um, we may want to pick up on some of these, but as we are, we're going to look at uh, this thing. It's interesting, you know, the cafe's being uh, redesigned. It has been redesigned, and and we're looking forward to that being uh, released. In fact, we were... Uh, interested to get a name for this thing and we had quite a lot of fun on Thursday trying to think of a name for the cafe so if you can think of a good name for the cafe do let us know Um, I saw Steve in the week and said can you get something from Latin America that might be interesting Um, but we came up with some names of our own Vlad came up with um, Nespresso (laughs) which which I thought was way too cheesy for a church Um, um, somebody names will not not be mentioned thought Latte Day Saints might be a good one Uh, Adam pronounced the idea of brood awakening <laughs> and um, I thought decalvinated coffee was it would be a good one <laughs> so, so <laughs> you never know but basically you want it to be a center for um, you know the, the, it's great pebbles and uh, is, is growing and it's just so many people I, I want to commend um, Lisa who leads pebbles um, with Simone and Eric of course is, plays a minor role with the story time <laughs> frightening those kids now <laughs> or should I say Francis or should it, um, it's personality crisis going on over there but no it's, uh, it's tremendous you know, we're going to have the drop-in centre uh, launched in June that's right I think I'm right in saying that and uh, Pebbles is expanding and there's all sorts of reasons to have a, a quality place midweek where people feel very relaxed to come and talk and those of you who came to the Angie Coombs program of training over those two weekends, we're going to find ways of the daytime life group and others who feel a ministry in that area to, to, to really develop who they are and start to, to take a step of faith and, and work with people who are, who are able to come in from community and, and potentially take them down the counselling route in a biblical counselling sense to help them find out what God is, 
wanting to speak to them about in their life. And what a tremendous opportunity and open door. So we're quite excited about that. And it was also great to see Mark Ritchie here this week on Tuesday. Um, I said to him afterwards, it felt a little bit odd because we're so used to him bringing the word of God with humour. And this time it was bringing humour and very little word of God. And, and that sort of switch around was extraordinary. But thank you for coming on a, on a, on a busy week and to hear him. And he really loved it. I, I did laugh, actually. I said to him, I think my, my, my view of his high point was his, his joke about the car, the bike thief in the car. Do you remember that one? And uh, he said the, the, he chased this bike thief over fences and eventually he ended up underneath the car and he phoned the police. He didn't know what to do. What do you do when you get there? And he phoned the police and said, um, I've caught him. He's, he's under the car. To which the guy under the car said, no, I'm not. <laughs> which which I, I just thought was so funny, the timing. Of but maybe, I don't know, who knows. Um, but my, the point is this, I guess. Um, this theme, confronting big issues, uh, you know, Mark Ritchie's got to confront himself. You know, he's an international uh, evangelist. Uh, and he is being wi- he's wired a certain way by God. He's ministry gifted by God to see thousands saved. He speaks at very, very large events. He's got open door access to some of the biggest churches, well, certainly in Europe, and if not wider afield. The biggest churches in Britain are, are very open to having Mark work with them because he's a, a recognised ministry gift. And yet... He wanted to redevelop who he is by confronting what God is doing in his life. Not that he's got a big issue, but there's something about what God is doing in his life right now that's made humour a big issue for him. And so he was nervous, I'm telling you. I'm not betraying any confidence if I tell you he was nervous. I mean, he didn't even want to go and have anything to drink when he arrived here. He st- he st- the first question was, where's the toilet? <laughs> Which, I, you know... And he, he stayed in my office for an hour and a half. I didn't spend any time with him. And then, then he came over here and he took us through. So we just, I love it when, um, when people are willing to confront things that need to change in their lives. And this isn't a bad change. For Mark, it's a good change. It's a door opening. Now, for us as individuals and, and those of you who are either new to the church or been here for years, um, God is going to confront you guys. He's going to confront me. He's been confronting me all week. And last week, I, I said to a number of people, this week for me has been very tiring. I felt very, very weary. I can't explain why. Maybe on the back of really a very important trip to Macedonia, plus the conference the week before, plus a lot of important meetings this week. But um, I did feel weary. And, and it's, it's not wrong to feel weary. You just don't want to stay weary for too long. Uh, you've got to have times of refreshing. But, but God is going to challenge us as a church, and he is, and I, I'm so excited. You know, I see what goes on behind the scenes. And when I'm, I'm looking at what's going on behind the scenes in BCC, I am so excited. Um, it's a bit early for me to tell you too much about it, but there are some extraordinary things going on. I can see the health of the church. I get to see all the detail. I get to see what people are, are saying. I, I hear what they're saying. I get to see the changes going on in people's lives. And I kind of want to tell you everything, but you can't. You've got to let it come out at the right time. But God is doing amazing things. And your involvement in BCC right now is going to be phenomenal as we go forward. I'm telling you, you watch what happens here. Um, This is not me just saying it. But God will confront us as he takes us into purpose. He will do it. He will do it. Change comes from what? Confrontation. Change only comes through confrontation. You have to confront something about your life. I remember the first job I ever did. Um, I, I, I had to confront myself about that job because I could have stayed there very comfortably on, on my little salary as it was in those days. And, and I got promoted multiple times. But I just felt it was, I had to confront that, that comfort. I had to confront comfort. and had to confront 
the, the easiness of it in a sense and the fact that I had so many good friends and I, I just knew that God was wanting to direct my life. I went out and left my first job and went and did a d degree. That's how I did it. I didn't go straight from school. I gave it three years and decided to do a degree then. But um, that confrontation, it meant giving up a salary. It meant going back and being a student again. And there were all sorts of reasons not to, but, but that meant change. Change meant confrontation. And you would either confront yourself or be confronted. That's how it is. If God's going to move you forward, you will either confront yourself or he will confront you. And it's not necessarily because of bad things happened. Let me tell you that. And I, don't, I think most of the time confrontation is not about bad things. It's actually about good things. It's because God is wanting to bring uh, a big issue um, out of your life or into your life. One of those two things. It's either a big issue in or a big issue out, or both. It could be a, it could be a, a trading places kind of situation. So let's have a look at um, what I think is a very apt piece of scripture, which we have looked at before in the church, but I want to read it. It's uh, Genesis 32, 22 to 30. And before we read it, it's the story of Jacob who was confronted by God. Um, he had some big issues, Jacob. He was a right villain, really, in many ways. He was a deceptive guy. He was a manipulator. He really was a bit of a cheat in his own strength. And, and he was scared stiff because he was about to, to meet his brother, who he'd basically swindled. And, uh, and God was bringing him to a human confrontation, but little did he know that he was about to have a God confrontation. In fact, God had said, you will go. And, and he was on his journey to see his brother Esau. But Esau had 400 men with him. And he was, you know, sometimes when things go bad, you look at everything as being really bad. Yeah. It's not always the case. Esau had no intention of doing dan damage to Jacob. And he had his 400 men with him. But Jacob saw everything as bad. And he thought these 400 men are just going to kill me. And so he was really worried. But we pick the story up in verse 22. And it says, during the night... Jacob got up and took his two wives during the night. It's interesting when, when it's dark. He got up and took his two wives and his two, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed. He was only 22. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, during the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Uh, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Verse 25. When, he saw, when the man saw he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked him. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. There's some profound things in this piece of scripture. There's some profound things. Um, when Jacob was on his journey into his destiny, he was forced into confrontation with God. He had to meet God personally, individually, in the private place. He had to. Every one of us, God's got a big call on your life. He has. I know it. You wouldn't be here if he, if he hadn't. You have been called. He's seen you before the foundations of the earth. You're called into his purpose. That means you're going to have to wrestle with him. You will be brought into a place where you have to wrestle with yourself. You have to figure out who you are in relation to God. And when you do that, he will change you. 
He will chain you. He'll refine you. It was a character issue with Jacob, but God had to wrestle with him. And in theological terms, we actually even view that he was perhaps even wrestling with Jesus. You know that theologically, there's a, there's a school of thought theologically that would say that Jesus, before he came as a, as a child and was born as a baby and became a man, he existed. You know, he existed before time. He existed at the beginning and before the creation of the earth. And there's a view that Jesus may well have been the one that wrestled with Jacob in, uh, in a spiritual sense in that, in that way. But um, uh, in today's language, the Holy Spirit is the one that will wrestle with us. It's Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And today is the day of Pentecost in our calendar, in our Christian calendar. We are a Pentecostal church. That means the power of God should rest comfortably with us. And if it doesn't, we need to get ourselves to a place where it does. And we, we'll pick up on that later. But God changed him from that point forward. But at that point of conflict, or confrontation, shall we say, well, what looked like conflict became confrontation, became the place of blessing. Do you see that? That God blessed him at the place of having to wrestle with God. And God will always bring things into your life that you have to wrestle with. It's not about an easy life. It's not about, you know, you've got what you had before and what you've had before is that's it, you're sorted for the future. God will bring things to you that he needs to wrestle with you on. And it's part of his formation. And Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. He was forming him into a nation. That's what he was doing. God was taking this man. He was a right old villain, really. Uh, a Francis. Uh, <laughs> it was a, he was... Uh, I love Francis Chan. There's no way I could make that comment. But uh, anyway, Walter White. Walter White, okay. Um, but, you know, God took him at that point, changed his name to Israel, changed his destiny. But his destiny was already written, but he had to do something with Jacob to enable that destiny to happen. Right? So something's going to happen in you for your destiny to happen. Something's going to happen. God's going to confront the big issues. That's what it is. He's either going to bring a big issue in or take a big issue out or both. So let's go forward. So if we're going to allow God to confront these things, we have to be prepared to confront ourselves. So um, we're going to look at this. Some of us walk through times of great pain, and you might be there right now, and it may not be your fault, but you might be in a place of great pain. You might be in a lot of anguish, but I want to say that God is the master of turning discouragement into encouragement. And don't be put off by your sense of discouragement right now, because you will you will recover. Amen. You will recover. In fact, God woke me up about a week and a half ago and he just said these words, you can. You can. I'd like you to write that down. If you've got a notepad or a phone or an iPad, you can. God is the God who encourages his people. You may be discouraged, but you can. I've got a prophetic word for Mina. Where are you, Mina? This is, I want you to close your eyes right now. God spoke to me in the service. God said to me this about you, Mina. I said, Mina, God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. The tune he has been playing in your life is a tune that he is working to produce some great music. And those notes, those things that may have been discords, those things that may be out of tune, those things that seem like notes in the wrong place, those things that, that may have been abandoned, those things that may have been damaged, those things that may have been lost. God sees your heart and he knows your heart. And he said, I'm going to turn your life into a symphony. Mm -hmm. And your future 
is going to produce music and that music is going to change lives and he wants you to know that he loves you with all his heart. Don't let discouragement ever eat into your future because God is shaping your future. In Jesus' name. And um, God is wanting to touch people's lives specifically and his role is to bring encouragement. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 and 6, he said, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. This is a complete parallel with, in a way, Jacob. There was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside, and what do we see here? Fear on the inside. But God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. God's intention is to encourage the discouraged. And if you're feeling pain of discouragement right now, you're not going to be there forever. I need you to know that. You can and he will. You can and he will. He's on a journey with you. Um, you know, Paul said there was no rest. There was conflict on every side. There were battles and there was fear on the inside. They're all normal. <laughs> For those who follow Jesus Christ, it's normal. What is abnormal is to stay there in that pain for too long. And Paul knew it. He knew it. God encourages, and that word in Greek means to comfort. He summons or speaks to the situation. The Greek word behind to encourage is to summon or to speak. God will speak into your situation. In fact, at your most vulnerable is when he can speak the most clearly. So you may be at a place of discouragement, but in that place of discouragement, he can speak to you powerfully. You need to make a note. When, when I have been in times of great distress, and, and we all have been in those places, and you may be there right now, God will speak to you so loudly because you are so desperate to hear him. And he'll make himself um, able to, to reach you. He will, he will reach you. And what you've got to do somehow in that place of frustration, pain, and discouragement is write down what he's saying. Write it down. Don't allow the noise of the storm to get in the way of hearing what God is really saying. God will use those down times to build you up. But he sometimes, it's not that he wants you to have hard times, it's just that in those hard times we become more receptive. So in your place of pain he will build you up. He wants to take discouragement and produce encouragement. He encourages you by summoning you, by speaking. And the word discouragement in Greek it talks to the downcast. In fact, I think it says downcast in the ESV. Those who are low to the ground in grief, even those who are depressed. You know, that's the trouble. When you get to a place of pain, you can go so low that you just feel like everything's gone, that everything is lost, that actually your life is lost, that your future's lost. You can feel like that. Well, God doesn't look at you like that. He looks at you from the perspective of eternity. He looks at you from the perspective of your purpose and your call. And Paul had a huge purpose and call. So God encouraged him. And how did he do it? He sent Titus. Now, isn't that amazing? You'd think, well, God might just zap me out and use, my, use his special skills to, to, move, to teleport me. Because he did that in the New Testament. You know that. Um, you know, why couldn't he just teleport? <laughs> he didn't use the language and you can't find the word teleport in the New Testament. But let me tell you, he did. He did. There was a famous man in the New Testament who got teleported to Azotus, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, and that's what will happen. Well, no, that, that didn't happen here. But I should think Paul's going, get me out of here. You know, I'm a celebrity. <laughs> but he didn't. And God didn't do it that way. He sent Titus. That's how he did it. That's, that's how kingdom works. Who is the Titus in this room? 
You're all Tituses. We're all sent by God. We are his mouths. We are his hands, his feet. We get sent into those situations to encourage and, and recover those who are discouraged. God will send somebody. You could be that somebody. In fact, you are that somebody. You, are, you definitely are. I am. I am that somebody. I know when we go to Macedonia, that's what we're there to do. Part of what we do is to encourage, to build up, and bring that enthusiasm. You know, there's a, a very interesting... Um, in fact, it says in Psalm 73, 26, My health may fail... And my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Hold on to these verses. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. God is our strength in times of trouble. He's our solid strength in times. So he, when we confront ourselves, we're confronting our pain and discouragement. There was a guy in 1968 who ran the marathon. You know the marathon is the final event in the Olympics? And uh, in a full stadium in Mexico City, which I believe is high altitude, um, the first runner in the race arrived to an enormous roar in the stadium. And this Ethiopian came in and he won. But back in the field was a guy called John Akwari. Now, he was a Tanzanian. Have we got any Tanzanians in the house? We do occasionally. Um, well, he was at the 19-kilometer stage of the race, of the marathon, um, there, it was high altitude and he started to suffer from a bit of cramp but there was a jostling with the other runners and somehow in that jockeying for position he was hit and he fell badly wounding his knee and it dislocated uh, the joint that's interesting compared to our scripture this morning and he hit his shoulder hard on the floor and he, was a, he had a serious leg injury or injuries and the officials wanted him to retire but he refused his knees were bandaged, and Aquari picked himself up and hobbled the remaining 12 kilometers to the finish. And he arrived over one hour after the front runner arrived. In fact, most of the stadium was empty, and there were just a few left in the crowd. In fact, the, the media had kind of ignored the rest and realized there was still one runner out there. And a, a small crew you know, went back to, to watch him come in. But it, it records one of the most heroic events in Olympic history, you know, that um, he was asked by a reporter, why didn't you stop and drop out? And Aquari replied, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles to start a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. You've just got to pick yourself up. <laughs> You've got to pick yourself up, bandage yourself up, and start moving forward. Because you've got more than just, just motivation behind you. You've got eternity and the power of God in your world. So you've got, to, you've got to confront ourselves, confront our pain. But you know, there may be sin in your life. There may be. We had songs this morning about sin. It's important that we confront that as well. I can't ignore that because that's, sin is the thing that traps many, many followers of Jesus. In fact, it traps the whole world. Sin is what traps the world. And sin produces patterns of behavior that you need to deal with. 2 Peter 2.19 says, You're a slave to whatever controls you. And the trouble is, if you allow the patterns of sinful behavior... To, to have a root in your life, they will control you and it will damage you. 1 John 2, 1 says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. So this is written to believers. This is written to those who follow Jesus. But if anyone does sin, we have an ad advocate, who is Jesus, of course, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. This is a statement of God's incredible grace. Jesus, our advocate, is our representative. You could even take it on a legal basis. That that's what he does. He, he, you know what an advocate does? If you're going to court, he sits down, goes through all the details with you, figures out where your case is, and positions your best case before the judge. 
Well, there is a legality in God's kingdom. There is no question about it because judgment and righteousness and truth are all as valid as grace. So praise God, we've got Jesus Christ, who is our advocate, who stands before God the Father and says, no, no, I've paid the price for the sin that's taking place. I've paid that price. And so we become the beneficiaries of God's grace and we satisfy God's requirement for judgment in situations. Now that's the truth of the word of God. And the trouble is, as Christians, we can dabble for too long in sinful stuff and allow it just to carry on. But if you are going to break through, if you're going to have your penial experience with God, you need to start breaking through those sin things. And if there's patterns of behavior, you need to deal with it. And this morning, this could be your day. Maybe, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, and, but everybody battles it. There is nobody who doesn't battle with sin. Let me tell you, you know, we may look at Adam and think perfect, but actually he's not perfect. Are you, Adam? <laughs> and I know, because we have to have counseling every Tuesday. <laughs> That's not true, he's at college on Jesus. But, um, you, know, you know, but Prince on the other hand. <laughs> Prince, sorry mate, it's all coming out. But, um, but we have to, we battle with it. You know, when I was in Macedonia, you battle with sin. You had to deal with, you, you didn't say very much to me, you just looked at me and said, you told me something in the play area and I thought you're having to battle with sin. Not yourself, but the temptations of sin. You have to battle with sin. And, um, and the fact is, we, we can overcome it. That's it. The truth is you can. You just have to change your pattern of behavior. And you may say, oh, but I'm under this, I'm under that. You know what? Stop that. Greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. And if you live like that your situation is bigger than God, then your God is very small. And you need to get God back into perspective and realize that sin is looking to snare you and bring you down. And we don't want to live like that. We want our representative to be able to say, look, we're running a race together. That's what we're doing. 2 Peter 1 verse 2 says, May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, more and more understanding. You don't get stuck in the mess because God is getting you out of it. and He's doing everything in his power to do it. And the, the Bible says you will never be exposed to a temptation that you can't overcome. You do know that, don't you? There, the, the lie is, the demonic lie is that, hang on, this is me. My father was like it. My mother was like it. My brother was like it. My sister was like it. Like it, you know, the family's always done this, and that's just the way I it's not true. God paid the price to break all that in your life. He paid the price to break every sin, every snare, every trap. And all that happens is the demonic comes along, puts a little trap down, and waits for you to walk straight into it because you're thinking and looking down rather than looking up. And all you've got to do is look up, change your focus, and God will start to walk you out of it. You know, when we were away. I'll tell you more about that later, but it's amazing what God is doing, what God is doing to people. But you've got to confront that if that's still an issue and it's pulling you down. You've got to confront it. And this morning, by God's grace, we'll have time to confront with God issues that we need to confront one-on-one with him, not sharing it publicly. So the first one is confronting ourselves. The next one is confronting our relationships because the kingdom of God operates through relationship. It's so often, that's why Paul said, Titus came and brought the encouragement from God. The power of authentic communication is incredibly good. I'd like to go on that course on the 4th of July and and learn how to communicate. Sounds like a great, great course. Um, But we have to confront our relationships. And I'm going to hit a couple of poignant things. We won't spend much time on this, but communication starts at home. Good communication, good relationship starts at home. 
It says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 2, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. In other words, don't borrow somebody else's. Right, that's what it's saying. The scripture's quite blunt. Don't borrow somebody else's husband and don't borrow somebody else's wife. They're off limits, okay? So you've got one husband. Well, Now you may be single, and that's, Paul talks about that being a special thing. And um, we haven't, we're not going to really explore that this morning. But Paul was able to do more in the kingdom because of his singleness. And there's nothing wrong with singleness. It's not a second rate anything. It's a first rate opportunity to do what God wants you to do. So singleness is amazing. And maybe you're in a season of singleness now. And make the most of it. Because one day you'll have the hassle. <laughs> <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, anyway, so what does it say to husbands in the Word of God? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Amazing. Eric didn't know what I was going to preach, and I didn't know he was going to talk about love languages. But, you know, love your wives means learning the language. What's the language? You know, we've got the benefit of all that these days. You know, my wife Liz, well, let's talk about me first. Um, <laughs> <laughs> vulnerability. Ah! Um, um, all I can tell you is my personality type is very impatient <laughs> by nature. But Paddy Venner, a pastor over in, in Norwich, who, he's a brilliant guy. He's a bit like me, but he, not that he's a brilliant guy in that no, no, he, he's He's a bit ADD. Uh, and we sit next to each other often in conferences and we, we, you know, this guy's speaking with, tapping emails out and picking up it's just like he said to me one day you're ADD aren't you I said no I'm not I'm just really impatient like anyway that's me so what's Liz's love language quality time <laughs> that's interesting isn't it I mean I'm thinking god you couldn't, couldn't have set me up more here <laughs> you know quality time I'm going what time are we going <laughs> you know, so then my question is well okay let's watch a bit of telly you know <laughs> I have to really work on it. I have to learn a whole new language of quality time. And I have, by God's grace, been getting there over the years. And, and as a result, our marriage gets stronger and stronger because I'm learning her language. I didn't know it. I thought I did know her language at the beginning because, like most men, we're completely naive about what women want. And, uh, and so you pay a big price early on, unless you just happen to be one of the, the 1% who just got it spot on. But for me, I had to learn the hard way, let me tell you. Um, but Liz also, because there's a price to pay when you get things wrong. And so um, we have to confront our relationship starts at home. Wives, the Bible says it in Colossians 3.18 and Ephesians 5.22, submit to your husbands. That's a very challenging concept. But if we get it right and it works right, it's one of the most powerful things in God's creation. That's what it says in the Word of God. Excuse me, that's what it says in the Word of God. So, uh, um, wives, submit to your husbands. When it's done right and your husband truly loves you and there's equality in your marriage, you can have the most incredible marriage. When one is overtaking the other inappropriately, you can have all sorts of problems. And God has created an order in these things. I can't say why he's done it, but that's just what God's done. He has created an established order. And in that order, he brings incredible peace blessing and grace and if you struggle with it argue with God don't argue with me <laughs> um, so to see strong marriages there's a number of things that we've got to be careful of and I'm going to hit something that's quite sizzly this morning um, it says uh, Ephesians 4:26. don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down while you are still angry and in marriage you can get angry because the people you are closest to can annoy you the most and you're probably going to get more angry with the person you love the most <laughs> than anybody else, just, just the way it is, because you don't get what you want, and you don't, 
you know, whatever it is, whether it's the wife or that, you're all smiling at me. It's <laughs> people are grinning without saying too much. And I'm going, yes, I can. Remember, I, God gives me prophetic insight. <laughs> so so um, anyway, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. Um, don't get angry. Now, um, I, now, let's get to the sizzly bit. 1 Corinthians 7, 3 and 4. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 5, the only time to abstain from these things is for times of prayer. So it's amazing how that, that works out. But you see what's going on here. This isn't dominance. This is giving freely. It's giving freely. And I, I've heard a lot of stories over the years about the tensions in marriage. And I, I know about those tensions because I am married. But you, you can't use sexual intimacy as a way of manipulation in marriage. And if you're doing it, you need to stop. It's a sin. You need to submit to one another in love. And you need to work that through. This could be a major barrier in your own life, in your relationship. And dare I say, even your relationship with God. Because because love is a powerful, powerful emotion. And maybe your, your powerful emotion in this area is touch. And if, you're being, if you're, your love language of touch is not being fulfilled because, because of something else like serving or giving or, or one of these other languages that Eric so eloquently talked about during the offering, uh, did a great job there, saved me having to mention those things. But, but you can feel all sorts of tensions brewing up. But guys, you've got to get yourselves under control and wives also with yourselves. If you want to have a quality, quality marriage, you need to not use manipulation in that marriage to get what you want because it's not working the way you hoped it would work. There needs to be some authenticity and some confrontation. But it's not just marriages. It's not much just marriages. Actually, on that note about marriages, I remember a really funny thing. Uh, when Liz and I got married, we... Um, we uh, well, it's uh, 1991. <laughs> God, almost got the year wrong. Uh, anyway, but I did remember, thank heavens. Anyway, uh, on our wedding day, a dear friend of ours called Bert Griffin, who's, who died many years ago, who's, I love Bert and Jean, they were in this church for many years, and Bert was a kind of classic Pentecostal man of God, and, and I really loved him. And so I asked Bert if he would pray at our wedding. And so in front of this packed congregation, I mean, it was standing room only, it was a hot day in September, um, Bert stands up to pray and he said, Lord, give them peace in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. But um, anyway, praise God he prayed that prayer. That's right. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's move on. So, um, like, Paul espoused singleness. And, um, but, you know, marriage and sex, one man, one woman, marriage. That's what it's about. Don't mess around with it. If you mess around with it, you're going to have problems. So if, if it needs correcting, needs sorting out, you need to do it. That's how it is. So, fathers... Fathers, what does it say about fathers uh, in Ephesians 6 verse 4? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them to anger. I'm very good at provoking my daughters. I am. I'm a master at it. And I've got to be very careful that I don't... I mean, one of the popular topics of conversation on Sunday lunchtime used to be, well, how can you possibly say that? When? You know, and then we'd get into a conversation. I'm, having, I'm suddenly this me and not three, but four. You know, that's just how it, girls always stick together. That's all I can say. So, but we've got to be careful not to provoke our children to anger, but bring them up in what? Discipline and instruction. So there's a flip side. Not only do you not make them angry, but you bring them up. It's, our, it's not... It's not um, the responsibility of rock to bring up your children or baseline 
or baseline life groups. It's the responsibility of us as parents to discipline and instruct them. And this is written to fathers. Now, I know mothers also, it's a joint responsibility, but there's a point here. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction to the Lord. If, you're, if you as a father are out at work all the time, how can you possibly be bringing the right leadership into your home? You know, that's a very real consideration. And um, if you pull back too much from your kids as fathers because you've got a bigger call in your life, there's a danger there. Our kids are given to us as a gift from God. That's what the Bible says, and they're our responsibility. Um, but children, equally, Colossians 3.20, obey your parents in everything. It's honouring to God. So children need to understand that they should obey their parents, and parents being mum and dad. Also in the marketplace, Colossians 3.23, I don't think I've got these verses on the screen. It says, work heartily as for the Lord. So there's all sorts of relational guidance in the Bible. Work heartily as for the Lord. And then wisdom in leadership. And many of us are leaders in the marketplace or in, in our working environments. Um, Proverbs 11.14 says, Without wise leadership, a nation will fail. If a nation will fail, you will fail. You need to have wisdom. And sometimes wisdom means it's not always about your best friend. You know, we're supposed to love people, but love isn't always doing what your best friend tells you to do. Or, or you give too much ground because your best friend, oh, but my best friend is so-and-so, and actually I don't want to lose that best friendship. Well, actually, if you're going to grow and take responsibility and God's going to bring you and take... You may have to actually deal with some friendships because actually there's some uncoupling required sometimes in the kingdom and friendships are one of those things that I suspect there are many good people that have been held back in the kingdom because of friendships I, I know that's been my experience in the past that there are some people who just want to dominate your time they want you in their life and actually not that you don't want to be in their life but sometimes as you grow as, as, you, as God gives you responsibility you have to create the right kind of space and you have to not be over obligated yeah. I'm not talking about family I'm talking about those who I know plenty of people in my life who've, who've put me under emotional pressure to be obligated to them as friends and actually there's a manipulation in that and so we have to be wise we have to be very careful so we have to be wise and uh, so how do you restore relationships? James 1, 19 and 20 says this. Understand, my, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God wants us to have. Um, important lessons about confronting ourselves, confronting our relationships. You know, sometimes things you see do challenge things. When we were in Macedonia this week, there was a guy on, our, on the team, the HCF site. Now, we got on with them brilliantly. But there was one guy, hello. <laughs> there was one guy who every breakfast would beeline anybody that was not in our group. And our hotel was tiny. I mean, there were like very few extra people. And this one guy would beeline anybody as an opportunity for the kingdom. Right, so he, he targeted Mohammed, the Indian, and that was it. He was going to attach himself to Mohammed every day that Mohammed was going to be in there. At first, I thought, wow, this is quite, this is quite full on. You know, just give a bit of space. And, uh, but it was fine. I, I've learned in ministry that just give a bit of space because God works things out sometimes the way you don't expect. And then one day, we've discovered that um, the same person, Mohammed wasn't there or he'd come and gone. Uh, and Martin was there now. He was a German and he was into um, to rescuing lost dogs. And so I don't know how he got that conversation. But anyway, he had those conversations. And then... Later on in the week, he discovered another couple, and I thought this one guy, middle-aged guy, probably older middle-aged, and his wife looked very Macedonian. 
he was well into them, telling them all about what we were doing. I thought, well, praise God, at least he's getting in there. But um, what's going to happen? Because you never know how people are going to respond, especially when you're in the same hotel as them. Anyway, I just assumed he'd just overstepped it. But we went into a time of ministry and worship. We had our devotional time. And we have, we have an hour every morning uh, where we spend time with God and we get different people to share um, from the Word. And uh, we had, in fact, I didn't even know what had happened, but Vlad uh, got called out, I think it was, and suddenly Vlad's looking all urgent and beckoned me during a worship song. And this couple are standing outside our room, and I'm, I'm thinking, uh-oh, this could kick off. And he looked very stern, and he looked quite severe to look at. And there's another Macedonian guy with him, and I'm thinking, these guys have got really offended. It wasn't the case at all. By God's grace, it was unbelievable. He was Australian, the guy with his wife, she was British. He, w- he said, I'm overwhelmed. You use slightly different language. He said, I'm overwhelmed by what I've heard from this guy. <laughs> he has told us what you're doing, and I'm absolutely <coughs> astonished at why your team is here. Is there anything I can do for you? It's amazing. And so this guy, he said, I'm up from Australia. My family are Macedonian. And because of what I've heard this guy say to me, I've called my cousin, and he'll, he'll help you in any way he can. And I mean, out of nowhere, God used the tightest moment to, to bring something. It's extraordinary. So we can get things wrong and, and not realize that God is working through things. So the final part of this is, um, it's not just confronting relationships, but confronting God himself. And we talked about Jacob. We talked about his background. He was a con artist. He was a liar. He was a manipulator. It doesn't take much to learn those skills in, in society. Uh, he was a deceiver. He was, his name literally means a grabber. That's what his name meant. But God changed it. The one who struggles with God called him Israel. Um, but then Jacob wouldn't let go unless he said, you know, you bless me, bless me. And there is a place where God really does want to bless. And he blessed him there in that moment of confrontation. And I believe that's almost a pattern for the way God does things. He will confront us. He'll confront everything about us so that he can bless us because he wants us to move in his power, not ours. And today is the day of Pentecost in our calendar. And uh, in Acts 2, let's just pop the verse up. It says in Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were together. They were meeting together in one place. They were gathering just like this. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like the roar of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. God will confront us for his purpose. And at Pentecost, and this Sunday, all around the world, Christian churches are acknowledging that uh, that point in history uh, with this Sunday, that God will confront us, and he's not going to leave us the same. When we encounter God, we leave differently. And at Pentecost, when those disciples in that upper room encountered God, they left differently. Thousands of people came to faith. Thousands of people discovered the truth of who Jesus was. The revelation that Peter presented to the thousands that gave their lives to to Jesus became followers when they understood the truth of the word. And so God gives us his spirit, not so that we can stay the same, so that we can change. That's why God's given us his spirit. So our journey is one of change, and that means confrontation. So this morning, we're going to have a time of worship. We're 15 minutes before the end of the service. I'd like Adam, if you'd join me, and the worship team, if you'd join me. You know, God can change anything and everything in your life. And I'm absolutely convinced he wants to. He doesn't want you to enter his presence and leave the same. He wants you to enter his presence and leave differently. And that's the, that's the same this morning. He wants you to come into his presence 
confronting your fears, confronting your uncertainties, confronting your distrust of him, confronting your, fa- your failures, confronting your relationships, but knowing that God can equip you and empower you. And as a church, that's what he's doing. This next season that we go through is going to be all about equipping, empowering, releasing. And boy, does it make me nervous. It really makes me nervous because I think, God, anything can happen. I'm not nervous about God. I'm nervous about people, <laughs> about people, how we handle what God gives us. Now, you may switch off. I remember I battled tongues of fire, mighty rushing wind. Well, that's the only time God ever moves in the Spirit. That's not true. All over the New Testament, God moved by His Spirit, and He never repeated the same circumstances again in the New Testament. So if you think, well, He's not here if the wind doesn't rush. He's not here if there's no flames of fire. That's not true, because all over the New Testament, when God baptized people in the Holy Spirit, things changed, and it was different. Often they spoke in other tongues. Often other things happened. Maybe today you just feel, feel, that you feel that you need God's power. You know, when God's power really gets in your life, things will change. We had a guy in Macedonia with us, a guy called Tom, in his late 20s. He, we put him in the front line. He's only been a Christian for 10 months. Six foot three, 10 years as a cocaine addict. 10 years. And in the last 10 months, his life's changed. And when we were out there, He's testifying on the plane on the way home. Anybody that asked, this is my purpose. This is why I'm here. The courage and commitment to what he he now knows is amazing. And I I was inspired by him and I'm a pastor and this guy's only 10 months old as a Christian. And so we can all learn, we can all move forward. So we're going to stand and we're going to worship now. And we're just going to allow God to speak to us this morning. And, and you need to come asking God. Go, ask Him to fill you this morning. Ask Him to anoint you. Ask Him to absolutely fill Him with your spirit. It, this is a day when God can transform you. Allow Him to change you. Allow Him to confront you. And if there's something you know needs to change, talk to Him. Whisper it to Him and He'll whisper back this morning.